Hi and welcome to Let Spirit Lead. I'm Cissy Williams and in this episode you'll meet the amazing Neil Donald Walsh, who is the author of the famous Conversations with God books. Neil's books have been translated into 37 languages and they have helped millions of people to connect more deeply with God and their own divinity. And they certainly have helped me, they've had a tremendous impact on my life. In this interview, Neil talks about his latest book, The God Solution, The Power of Pure Love. And this book, his publishers rushed to get out into print so as to help us through the current crisis. So let's head over to this interview now. Thank you so much, Neil, for being on this podcast and for taking your time to speak with us. Again, I love I love speaking with you. I've been a big fan of yours for many, many, many years. Your books changed my life as it's changed millions of others as well. And you've written an incredible book called The God Solution, The Power of Pure Love. And I just like to ask you, because it's come out at a perfect time, really, in our lives. What inspired you to write this book? I was inspired to bring through the material that you find in that book last August, in August of 2020, because of what was happening in the world. And I was actually not intending to write a book. I was actually just sharing some thoughts for what I assumed would be an online article, a little, perhaps a magazine contribution or a piece that I was going to create for some use online uh, on the internet but as i as i began to roll out my thoughts and and just allow myself to express what was coming to me i realized that my little magazine article was getting longer and longer and longer mm. and pretty soon i realized this is turning into a book length uh, statement and maybe i should just consider turning it into a book so when I finally came to the conclusion of what I wanted to say, I sent it to my literary agent. And I said, you know, maybe uh, there might be a publisher out there who wants to put this into print. And uh, he did indeed find a publisher who uh, read it. And uh, the owner of the company, a, a wonderful lady uh, who owns a company called Phoenix Books, she read it and said, not only do we want to put this out, we want to put it out immediately, like in right away, as fast as a book can can go from submission to publication. So they, they actually turned my little manuscript into a what I thought was a very nicely designed book in about seven or eight weeks, which wow. is very, very fast in the, in the publishing business. And then the book was published on the 1st of December. So it was just a few weeks after I, I turned it in. So I have to say that it was very rapid and it came out at this time because the publisher felt it was needed at this time. Mm, yeah, well, it is. And what would you, obviously, we've been through an incredible upheaval and change and time for reflection and sorting out and looking at, you know, part of the insanity, really, that is held in our collective human consciousness. So what would you say has been your main insight from receiving the information for this book and how we can apply it today so we can bring more consciousness and awareness into how we navigate through life and relate to each other so we can bring that love into our human interactions? I think my main insight is that humanity has been and continues to be using the wrong model upon which to base its behaviors. That is, as we look to life, 
and explore how we want to be as a species. We have been using in large numbers, not exclusively, but in very large numbers, we've been using our idea of deity, of, of our God, as a, uh, an exemplar, as the way we should be, the way we should act. Um, surveys show, by the way, I don't make the, the statement I just made lightly, because surveys show, and these surveys have been taken over the past 25 or 30 years, in every civilization, in every culture on the earth. And those surveys show that 8 out of 10 people who are alive today believe in some sort of higher power. They may not, may not agree on exactly you know, what, it, what it's constituted of or how it works or what it wants or what it needs or any of that, but they do agree that there's something larger going on here than meets the eye. And there's something more than just us in the universe. And so some of us call that God or Allah or Brahman or Yahweh or Jehovah or by whatever other name it pleases us to use to refer to that ineffable essence that we call the divine. So with eight out of ten of human beings believing in some kind of higher power, what we believe about that higher power becomes not inconsequential. It becomes, in fact, very influential in how we design and create our own behaviors, our own interactions with each other, person to person, neighbor to neighbor, and indeed nation to nation. So we have been uh, instructed by the world's religions, and by the way, there are 4,300 religions, organized religions on the face of the earth at last count. So in those 4,300 religions, we have been taught in each of our cultures about this higher power that some of us call God, that exists, about what it wants, what it needs, what it requires, if you please, and how to best use it, and what happens if we don't give this higher power what it needs and wants, and, and, and in fact, what it demands and commands. And we have been using, as I've said a moment ago, our understanding of that personality, of that deity, as the model upon which to base our own behaviors. So we interact with each other in the way that we understand God interacts with us. That is, we understand that God is judgmental, condemning, and punishing. And so we have decided to be judgmental, condemning, and punishing with each other, using God's example as our exemplar, and simply modeling our behaviors on how we imagine God interacts with us. And we use that, by the way, we use our understanding of God as our justification. We actually say things like, you know, we're doing this in the name of God. And so in the name of God, we kill people, we punish people, we chastise people, we make people wrong, we attack people in the name of God. And we actually announce it as we're doing the attacking. We actually say that we're doing this in God's name. So that's the biggest insight that I was given in the God Solution, is that if we really want to move toward a solution to humanity's ongoing and seemingly endless challenges, our political challenges, our economic challenges, our social challenges, and our spiritual challenges, if we want to bring an end to those challenges, one way to do it is to invoke what I've called the God Solution, to change our idea about the global ethic 
the way we should behave by changing our definition of how God behaves with us, by reaching a more accurate definition, and finally, after all these hundreds of thousands of years, throwing aside our misunderstood and, I almost want to say, our infantile idea of who and what God is and who and what God wants. It's kind of a one last sentence. I'm sorry to go on so long, but um, it's it's a daring book. It's it's spiritually daring because it upsets the apple cart. It says, is it possible, just possible, that there's something we don't fully understand here about God, about life, and about ourselves and each other, the understanding of which would change everything? If we're willing to say yes to that question, yes, it's possible. Maybe we don't have all the data. It's possible there's something we don't fully understand here. If we're open, at least open to that question, then we can begin to exploring possible answers. Like a scientist would do in a, in a laboratory. Like a scientist who would be concerned with, you know, how to make the latest experiment function more effectively and more efficiently. And so a, a true scientist doesn't throw away any idea because it seems improbable. Uh, in fact, often the more improbable the solution seems to be, the more rapidly a scientist wants to try it out just to make sure that they're not missing something. So I think that we are undergoing a great experiment here, uh, in a sense. I, I speak metaphorically, but the great experiment is human life on this planet and the way we have been living it. Clearly, we haven't been doing it well. There have been very few times in the history of humanity when we have not been somewhere on this planet at war with each other. So there's obviously something we don't know, the knowing of which would change everything. And the book offers my idea about that. Yeah. And I think last year, and obviously also this year, it's like we know, well, many of us, we feel we, there is this higher power that is the force of love that is beautiful when we allow it to flow through us and we extend it to others. And you can feel this higher quality of love moving through us as we do that. And then it's like last year, all of that, which was not love, <laughs> which was the unconscious aspects of us, which was the shadow aspects of us, which was the judgment and the separation from love that I feel is we are love itself, but it's that separation came up to the surface. And we had that time through lockdown where we could witness it and could could not hide from it anymore, could not push it down. And what I noticed was happening in the world is that many started to look at, oh my God, where am I doing this in my, in my own life? Where are we doing this to each other? But then others also started to put the blame out there instead of turning it within and seeing where do we do this within ourselves as well. So it was like putting the blame on, well, you know, it's those people or those people or those people, it's all their fault, rather than seeing that we as a collective have gone astray. So what sort of advice would you offer people here, how we can notice what triggers us where we have gone into an unconscious pattern, maybe not only collectively, but also in our own personal lives, and how we can bring that back into that medicine that God has for us when we tune into that energy of love, that frequency of love. 
I think I would offer one word, uh, and that word would be understanding. I think, I think that we would um, replace the word blame with the word understanding. If we, if we can begin to uh, deeply understand the behaviors of others, what would cause a person to do some of the things that we assume that they have done? Or maybe that we know as a fact they've done it. Nevertheless, there's a reason behind their actions. And, and then uh, moving to ourselves, how can we more deeply understand our own actions, our own decisions, and what would cause us to behave and to act in a certain way with others and with ourselves in our life? So the solution is to be willing to understand, to move away from blame into understanding by asking a key question. What hurts you, meaning the other person, what hurts you so much that you felt you had to hurt me in order to heal it? And, you know, in the book, I, re I offer the example of Pope John Paul II, who uh, went to the jail cell of the man who tried to assassinate him when he was shot six times uh, in his motorcade. And he sat down with uh, the man who had been arrested and thrown in jail for life for trying to kill the Pope. The Pope managed to, hard as it is to believe, by the way, the Pope managed to survive six gunshot wounds, but he, you know, he survived. And he went to the jail cell of the man who shot him and said, you know, I'm not going to condone what you did. I can't approve of what you did. I can't agree with what you did. But I would really like to understand what you did and why you did it. Would you be willing to just share with me? So, you know, why would you do such a thing? What, what have I done to you? Basically, he asked him his own version of the question. What hurts you so much? that you felt you had to hurt me in order to heal it. And this man, who was a Turkish man, he, he explained that he felt that the Catholic Church in larger measures, not the Pope personally, but the Church, had uh, created some enormous difficulties in his living the way he chose to live uh, in Turkey and had caused throughout human history uh, some difficulties and challenges for members of other religions and other faiths to practice their understanding of God in the way that they wished to do, to do so. And the Pope said, we're told, because they, they kept a record of the conversation, the Pope said, well, again, I want to say I don't agree with how you resolved that conflict within you, but now at least I understand why you would try to hurt me. And you know what happened? The Pope and this prisoner became pen pals they actually sent letters back and forth to each other. The Pope told him how he could write to me at the Vatican. He wrote back to the prisoner who was serving a life sentence. And after several years, the Pope asked the authorities in Italy to pardon the man. He had served, I think, six or seven years. He said, that's, that's long enough. He, he, he paid, his, he paid his, his price. And the Pope asked the authorities to release him and to grant him a pardon, which the authorities did. So I, what comes to mind is an interesting thought. Someone once said to us, bless, bless your enemies, and pray for those who persecute you, and love those who do not love you, and raise not your fist to heaven, 
and curse the darkness not, but be a light unto the darkness, that you might know who you really are, and that all those whose lives you touch might know who they really are as well. It couldn't have been put any plainer to us. We simply have ignored the recommendation. So what the God solution suggests is that we no longer ignore the recommendation of all the world's great spiritual messengers, not just one, but the many spiritual messengers, each of whom have said the same thing in their own words. The Buddha taught the exact same lesson in his way in what was famously called the parable of the saw. The Buddha told his followers, brothers, if you are attacked on the side of the road, and if they literally cut you in half with a two-handed saw, you are to hold no energy of animosity toward those who attack you, but only empathy and compassion and understanding, because it's clear that they are acting from a place that causes them to behave as if they were out of their mind. And even the justice system in most countries has a, a, a way of dealing with that. They call it innocent by reason of insanity. So we notice that this is not an idea that's so far-fetched that we can't comprehend it. We simply have not applied it uniformly and universally, which could cause people to change their behaviors. It would not unleash a whole raft of horrible behaviors, but in fact, it would cause people to change their behaviors because we would begin to do unto others as we would have it done unto us. In other words, we would remove much of the motivation that causes others to want to attack us. We've been told in many spiritual messages that all attack is a call for help. So these are some of the principles that we are providing people in the book The God's Solution, as well as the second half of the book, which describes in some detail the metaphysical formula the mechanics of manifestation that allow us to live in the ways I've described in our individual daily lives. Mm. Yeah, I love that part as well. So coming back to what you just said, because you write that when we have the understanding, then you know there's no need to forgive then, because with the understanding, forgiveness comes naturally. Well, forgiveness is not even necessary. Exactly. <laughs> It, 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 we, we actually abandon forgiveness. Yeah, yeah. We, 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 you know, forgive, I call that forgiveness foregone. We forego the need to forgive any more than you would need to forgive a three-year-old child for ruining the birthday party that mommy spent three days preparing because she spilled the milk all over the table. You know, and, and so the, the grandpa doesn't say to the three-year-old child, go to your room and don't come out for the next six months. I'll teach you to be so careless. Your mother has worked three days to put this birthday party together for you. No. The, 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 grand, the grandpa doesn't punish the child for making a childish mistake. He doesn't even forgive the child. He doesn't even say, oh, it's okay, Yanni, I forgive you. Because grandpa understands that forgiveness is not even part of the equation. What does the grandpa do in the moment that the child is crying at her own behavior? He hugs her. He gives her love. He pulls her toward him, not pushes him away from her. He pulls her toward him and says, Oh, sweetheart, don't cry. Grandpa loves you. It's okay. You know what? I got to believe that God is at least as nice as my grandpa. 
So if I'm wrong about that, I guess I'm going to roast in the fires of hell. No, you can feel it because those times when that, say if you have had a grief with someone and you're holding on to, I know myself, I was really angry with someone in my life. I love them dearly. It tends to be those people that you love dearly. So you have a strong bond. And I was holding on to this old wound for a long, long time and found lots of reasons for why I was justified in it. I tried forgiveness. It was, it was slowly chipping away at it. And then one day, uh, it was in relation to my dad. He'd been a, a severe alcoholic. And then one day, I was doing a process where I was taken back on my dad's life journey. And I saw, I just saw what had happened to him. So I had suddenly that understanding of him and all my anger, all my bitterness, all of that just vanished. It was a miracle in itself. So yeah, I totally get that, that once the understanding is there, it's like the grip from that wounding, from that bitterness, just it just vanishes. And then forgiveness is not even needed because there's nothing to forgive. I'm told, I'm told this, understanding replaces forgiveness in the mind of the master. And I invite every person to write that on their bathroom mirror so they see it every morning when they prepare for the rest of the day. Get out a stick of lipstick or a bar of soap and write that on your bathroom mirror. Understanding replaces forgiveness in the mind of the Master, even as it does in the mind of God. God forgives us for nothing. Exactly. <laughs> because it's the understanding that is that. Yeah, I love that. Because God would, doesn't need to forgive a, a, a child. We are the children of the universe, and God understands perfectly well that we're behaving like children. That doesn't condone our behavior, but it does understand it, and, and even as we understand the behavior of a three-year-old child. Mm, beautiful. Another thing you write about in the book as part of your tools that you're sharing is you know, in many of our spiritual traditions and in the self-help books, it's this notion that uh, we create our own reality. And then what I notice is that when then we create things in our lives that we may not like, many people start to beat themselves up for this. So they go into guilt and they go into how can I have created this? Or they look at someone else who is going through a difficult time and they go, oh, look, you know, she must have been thinking really negatively. That's why she's experiencing this challenge. And you have a really beautiful take on this in your book. Would you mind sharing that for us, please? Well, I, I do call that new age guilt. Yeah. <laughs> uh, uh, I think that it depends on how we hold the experience that we feel guilty about. Every opportunity is an opportunity for us to move forward uh, on the agenda of the soul. But I think the challenge facing human beings is we don't understand what we're doing here. Mm. We, we have no idea why we're here. We think we're here to, you know, just get through life. Get the guy, get the girl, get the car, get the job, get the house, get the spouse, get the kids, get the grandkids, get the gray hair, get the office in the corner with your name on the door, get the better car, get the better house, Maybe get the better spouse, get the better spouse, get the better spouse, you know, because it's always the other one, other person's fault, of course. And then finally, you know, get the retirement watch, get the cruise tickets, you know, get the vacation, uh, and, and then get the illness and get, and get out. 
and, and, and we call that our life. That's the formula. I make a little joke of it because it's almost sad, too sad to be funny, but it's, it's the way billions of people live their lives according to that exact formula that I've just described. Because most people don't understand what we're doing here. Wait a minute. And the reason we don't understand what we're doing here is we don't understand who we are. Most people really relate to themselves as if they were their body and their mind. But the news is you're not your body. Your body is not who you are. It's what you have. Your mind is not even who you are. It's what you have. It's a tool. So then who are you? Oh, I see. You are a spiritual entity having a body and a mind. But the spiritual entity has entered into physicality for reasons having nothing to do with get the guy, get the girl, get the car, get the job, get the house, get the spouse. It's not about that. It's not that we won't be doing some of those things, but we will be doing them to advance our agenda rather than to engage in things that don't really matter in life. I wrote a book once called What Matters. The first paragraph of that book says, 98% of the world's people are spending 98% of their time on things that don't matter. The total title of that book is The Only Thing That Matters. And it describes, you know, what really matters is um, how we are doing in advancing the agenda of the soul. If we really are spiritual entities, how does that relate to our daily physical experience? And how is it possible that, that what arises in our daily physical experience can serve that agenda? When we see that everything that arises, even the person who did us wrong, the person we're still angry with months later, whoever we think is doing it to us, whatever is going on, even those events, those unwelcome and unhappy events, can be seen as blessings when we hold them within the context of, oh, I see. It's rather like missing or messing up a recipe. You know, I, I'm an amateur cook and I enjoy time in the kitchen. And I've been known to come up with some very interesting recipes. But I didn't get them right the first time. The first time I tried it, I put in too much sugar or too much salt or too much spice or too much this or not enough of that, whatever. And it, it took me a while. But, it, it, but if I curse those things that I did that didn't work as well as I wanted them to, uh, then I'm not going to enjoy my time in the kitchen. But if I see them, each one of them is a blessing. Ah, you know, I have to tell you something. My mother taught me a lot of this. When things would go wrong, I can re remember that my mother would say when something went wrong, she'd say, God bless it. <laughs> and I used to say to my mom, Mom, why do you say God bless it? That's not what Dad says. <laughs> when, he, when something upset, upsets him, and, and, and my mother looked at me with a smile on her face, she said, yes. Well, you see, I don't want God to damn it. I actually want God to bless it and to help me see it as a blessing that allows me to, you know, move forward. And she wouldn't put it in these words, but I came 50 years later to write a book in which I said, maybe this is an opportunity for us to decide and declare, to express and fulfill, to become and to experience the next grandest version we ever held about who we really are. Now, if we could live life from that place of adventure, 
we would find ourselves experiencing the daily ups and downs of life in an entirely different way. Hmm. I could, of course, be wrong about all of that. I remember reading that, and oh, you just spoke to my soul. I had such a, an incredible experience when I started to pick up your books. It's quite a long time ago now. And one of the books, which is actually a children's book, The Little Soul and the Sun, I remember reading it in London. I was in Borken's bookshop, and I just started crying because it was, for me, it was all about me and my dad, how there I was wanting to experience forgiveness in this incarnation. So what did I need? I needed someone that would be such a strong bond with me at a soul level that he would be willing to lower his vibration to that extent that he could do this thing that would appear to wound me, knowing it because he did that, because he loved me, because he wanted to help me experience myself as that who I truly am. And when I got that from your book, and it's a beautiful children's book, but it really spoke straight to my heart, I could feel the old shackles just leaving me of that which had kept me bound to a lower vibration, a lower reality that wounded me because I couldn't see the truth of who I am and who he was to me. He was a blessing. He was a teacher. He was an angel in disguise. And I love how you write that in your books. They are there as angels in disguise. I love it. Yeah, the, the, final, the final sentence of that book, God says to the little soul, don't you know I have sent you nothing but angels? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. yeah. You know, when you comprehend that, especially when somebody's yelling at you or making you wrong or even physically hurting you, saints do understand this. The saints and sages of all time understood that, even as they were being physically tortured. They found a way to say, even in that moment, Father, forgive them. They don't even know what they're doing. They don't even know what they're doing. And that's compassion. That's pure love. That is the love of God. However we conceive of that higher power, we can call it by whatever name we want to call it, but I believe that that higher power is the source of pure love, which is a love that requires, demands, hopes for, and needs nothing yeah. in return. Yeah. Beautiful. Amazing. Thank you. Also, I can see that you you look really, really well. And I know that you shared in your book about when you had um, open heart surgery. And I actually, I love that you shared that also. I had a heart attack in November 2019, and my heart put me on this amazing journey of surrendering, allowing, listening, awakening. It's been extraordinary. And I'm fully healed now, actually, from that. But you had a very powerful moment as you're being wheeled into the operation. Would you mind sharing with our listeners about that? I remember that I was lying there on the gurney, you know, the little table with wheels where they move you around. I was in what they call the prep room, being prepped for the actual surgery. And they allow your next of kin to be with you for just a few moments before they bring you into the surgical suite. So my darling wife was there with me. They gave her, like they said, you have five minutes uh, to say what you want to say. And, you know, and of course, she said all the things you expect your, your spouse to say, darling, I love you. And I know this is all going to go well. And thank you for all the gifts you've given me in your life and all the sweet things. Uh, if you've had a good relationship with your spouse that 
she would say at a moment like that. But then she looked at me at one point and she said, my, you seem awfully calm, incredibly peaceful here. You do realize you're going in to have, this isn't a tonsillectomy. You're not getting a few stitches in your left hand. You're getting open heart surgery. Mm -hmm. They're going to cut you open from the top of your breastbone to the bottom of your chest. They're going to saw through your ribs and open your rib cage. And they're going to reach in and stop your heart from beating for four or five hours. You're going to be living on a, on a machine across the room. Hopefully you will survive all of this. They're going to grab arteries from other places in your body and graft them into your heart. Do you realize what you're going in there for? And I looked at her and I said, yeah, I do. And it's okay, darling. It's okay. It'll be all right, however it turns out. And I remember thinking as I was being wheeled into the operating suite itself, I had a little conversation with God. And I said, you know, thank you, God, because only one of two things can happen here. Only one of two things can happen here. I'm either going to come out of this operating suite fully repaired and feeling much better than I have felt in years, or I'm not, or I'm not going to survive this. And I'm going to do the thing that people call die and go home to you. Either way, I win. Yeah. I can't lose. I either stay here and continue this lifetime for a bit longer, or I go home to God. I can't lose. Thank you, God. And I really, I wasn't rationalizing it. I wasn't getting into psychological rationalization. I actually felt that way. I felt, you know, how, how can I lose here? <laughs> and, and so, of course, I, 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 I came out with a quintuple bypass. Not a, not a triple bypass, not a quadruple bypass, a quintuple bypass. Almost every major artery to my heart, yes, just, just about. Every major artery to my heart had to be removed and replaced with an, ar an artery that they grafted from somewhere wow. else in my body. But when I, when I uh, came out of that and I awoke after the surgery, the cardiac surgeon said to me, congratulations, you just bought yourself 10 or more years. And, he, and, and he's right, you know, after a couple of weeks. Four weeks later, I was on tour in Spain giving a public lecture and a weekend retreat wow. in, in Spain four weeks later. And I was saying to my darling, my God, I feel, I feel like I'm 45 or 50 years old again. And of course, I was in, deep into my 70s. So I, I felt like I uh, was 20 years younger. But it was okay with me, however it turned out. And uh, that, that has been the way I've seen life. You know, it's okay, however it turns out, because I'm here to express and experience the grandest notion I've ever had about who I am. And that's what every great spiritual master, I'm not one of those, but I've learned from what they had to say. I listened carefully to what they had to say. And that's what all those spiritual masters have told us, each in their own way. So I've heard them. And, and I've listened to them, and I've tried to apply it as my God solution, mm. which is why I wrote a book called The God Solution. I would say also that you're an amazing messenger of God, that you have that direct link to express through you. We all have that direct link. The whole message of conversations with God is, and I remember God saying to me in book one 
I think, five pages into the book. Now, we're talking about a series of nine books that cover over 4,000 pages. And on page five of those 4,000 pages, I'm told directly in God's voice, I'm talking to everyone all the time. Mm. The question is not to whom am I talking. The question is, who's listening? Yeah, exactly. Exactly. And you are listening. And also the way that you've been able to turn hardships in your life into then blessings for you and for others. And I, I, I really thank you for, for doing that. Because it takes a lot of courage to turn it around and to look and to ask. I'm, I'm not sure I felt courage. I think I felt fed up. Okay. It, t- yeah. it, it takes a feeling of, you know what, I've had enough. Yeah. There must be something I don't know here. Yeah. The knowing of which would change everything. Yeah. I'm, I'm not willing to go on like this. Yeah. These days, I move into my interactions with every human being, whether it's my wife, the first thing in the morning, seeing her in the kitchen, busying herself with creating, getting the coffee ready, and perhaps putting a little breakfast together for us, or whether it's a total stranger on the street, as I go downtown to do a few things I have to do. And there he is, sitting on the sidewalk, leaning up against a building with a little basket in front of him, hoping to capture a few coins. Or maybe it's the clerk at the post office. Whoever it is that I encounter, I say this in my mind. I wouldn't say it out loud, of course, because no one would understand. But I offer it to you to say in your mind quietly, the first time you see that other person, I have come that you may have a life and that you may have it more abundantly. Your life will be made better today for my having passed this way. I promise you. Has that little saying, has that little announcement changed the way I interact with people, loved ones and strangers alike? Yes. Big time. And so I use it in my mind as my reminder that I create a a be of, of a new mind. Why am I here? Why have I just encountered this person at the post office? Why did I just run into this policeman on the beat? Why did I just happen to chance upon this beggar sitting on the sidewalk with his little bowl hoping to capture a few coins? Or for that matter, why did I just encounter the person on the other side of the bed, on the other pillow, before the dawn? What is the purpose of this encounter? Oh, I see. I have come that you may have life and that you may have it more abundantly. Your life will be made better this day for my having passed through it. I promise you. Now, people may hear that as, wow, what an incredibly giving process. How generous, how emotionally wonderful of Neil. No, no. You misunderstand what's going on if you're not clear about the process that's taking place. I'm not serving the other. I'm serving myself because I've come here to experience the truth of who I really am. And the other person is the person who deserves thanks. Thanks for showing up in my life in this way and giving me an opportunity to notice and declare, to express and fulfill, to experience and become who I really am. Every act is self-serving. And when we know that, We've uncovered the greatest secret of life. I could, of course, be wrong about all of that, but I don't think so. No. 
I don't think so either. And even if you were, which I don't think you are, you can feel the, the energy that that love, that higher power flows through you as you as you tune into that, as you declare that, as you say that. I could feel it in my heart as you were saying it to me. And that is how I feel. We can tune into what is true for us and how it makes us feel inside. I couldn't agree with you more. And that's what I call the God solution. And it's part of what I share in the book by that title. I hope everyone will get themselves a copy. And by the way, there are some cynics out there when I talk about this who say, oh, he's just trying to sell another book. Ladies and gentlemen, you need to know, I put the book totally free online on my Facebook page. You just go to my Facebook page and you'll find the entire book there, chapter by chapter, installment by installment. Of course, Facebook won't let you put a whole book in one post. So you have to break it down into little excerpts. But I have broken the book down into something like 47 or 52 excerpts. I'm on excerpt number 35 right now. And uh, so you can read the book at no cost. Uh, so, no, I'm not, I'm not here trying to sell you a book. But I am here hoping to invite you to experience yourself and your life in a brand new way. Yeah. Thank you for everything you do, Neil. You are extending that light and helping to awaken in us invite us to have a stronger connection with the God within us and in each other. Thank you. Thank you for the opportunity that which allows me to be and declare, express and fulfill my grandest notion of who I am. Thank you. Thank you. What a great gift you've given me. Thank you. Thank you. And you look wonderful. You really do. You, I mean, I know obviously from the heart surgery, but I saw you at the I Can Do conference and I could see, because I'm an osteopath, I could see that you had some problems possibly with the heart or with the lungs. And now, I mean, you look literally like 20, 30 years younger. It's extraordinary. Yeah, I feel that way too, as yeah. my wife will tell you. She said she's warned everyone, oh my God, watch <laughs> out. He's pretending he's 20 years younger. <laughs> but what a miracle, too, that they can do these types of surgeries now. Isn't that amazing what they can Absolutely. do? Absolutely. It's phenomenal. Who would yeah. have thought? Who would have imagined? Yeah. So I know why I'm here at this time. Yeah. I, am, I feel, seriously, I'm just sitting up here so blessed. I know the very first time I interviewed you, it was a long time ago, and I, at the beginning, I was so fanstruck. I just sat there and go, I'm such a fan. I'm such a fan. And then I can, inside I was like, for goodness sake, Cece, you've got to pull yourself together. I'm like, I'm such a fan. You have had such a tremendous impact on my life. So thank you. You and Marianne Williamson have been my spiritual teachers from the very beginning. So thank you. Well, she's a big sweetheart. I've known Marianne for 30 years. And um, I, I like to tell a, a naughty story. Uh, I always <laughs> tell people, well, when I was in bed with Marianne, we would have really great discussions. And then, and then Marianne, who, who we've been pals for 30 years, would say, do you really say that? And I say, yes, yes, of course I do. But of course, we never were lovers in any way. But there was one time when, when I visited her in her home in Detroit, when she was living in Detroit, and I, I visited her, and she was uh, not feeling all that well, but she didn't want to miss our visit. So she said, you know, I'm up here in the bedroom come on up and we can just share a little toast and, you know, a little orange juice and we can have like some breakfast in bed. So she did. She had her, she had a, a lady who helped her in her home and the lady brought up a lovely little breakfast of, you know, toast and coffee and orange juice and such. And I sat on the end of her bed and we had this two and a half hour discussion. Oh. 
said, well, honey, I have to tell people that I learned this from you when we were having this, this talk, <laughs> when we were in bed together. She said, oh, Neil, you rascal, you're so bad. <laughs> Oh, I love that. I love that. But she's a she's a sweetheart, and I've known her for a long time. She's a brilliant, incredible, insightful, dynamic, yeah. and glorious human being, and I adore her. Yeah, she's a powerhouse. Just, just to, to put it mildly. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah. She really is. It's been lovely connecting with you today. It really, really has. And again, just from being in your presence, I can feel my energy being lighter. So thank you, thank you. You're welcome and thank you too, my friend. We'll do it again. Yes, we will. Thank you. Lots of love to you and to your wife. Bye. Thank you. <laughs> Bye. Bye for now. Bye. <laughs> if you'd like to find out more about Neil and his work, then visit neildonaldwalsh.com. And if you'd like to listen to a previous interview with Neil, then visit ccwilliams.com slash podcast. Thank you so much for listening to this week's episode. And I'm sending you lots and lots of love until I see you in our next episode. Bye-bye, everyone. Bye-bye.